Hello and welcome to another episode of North 100, a Canadian Highlander podcast. I'm Serge. Joining me as always, we have Jer, Liam, Liam, Alex and Liam. I used me. to be there. Not anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm back to the outside. <laughs> that, that's not true at all. No, this is the same order. Anyways, Alex, no, are no, you no, gaslighting I, everybody? No, no, no. You, you were missing in the last episode. Oh, yeah. so I, I you had my chair. No. Well, like me. <laughs> Anyways. We're back. We're excited to bring you another episode of our podcast, and this is brought to you by you from your support over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. So thank you for the support. We literally could not do this without you. Starting off, as always, we have the best card you're not playing today. We have Jer. Jer, tell us your secrets. Gaunty Lord of Luxury. Oh, yeah. So this is a, a really sweet card for uh, basically any black-based oh. mid-range deck. It's a two and two black legendary creature, Aetherborn Rogue. So that's like first upside. You get to play an Aetherborn Rogue in your deck. Uh, it's got Death Touch. It's a two three. It ha but wait, there's more. It has, a, <laughs> it has an Enter the Battlefield ability. When it enters the battlefield, look at the top four cards of target opponent's library. Okay. They don't get to see them. Exile one of them face down. Then put the rest on the bottom of that library in a random order. For as long as that card remains exiled, you may look at it. And you may cast it, and you may spend mana as though it were any type of mana to cast it. So this thing's nuts? Because mm -hmm. I, yeah. I looked at this card, and I was just kind of like, it's just eh? It's just super, super good value. Judge? Yes? Can you cast the card if he leaves play? Sure yeah. can. Yeah, the wording's pretty, pretty big. Then, as yeah. long as it remains it's exiled. Oh, so as long as, as, long as the card goes. remains exiled, you may... Uh, Cast it. it. It's not tied to the object Gaunti at all. I, I love how they've re-templated all of these cards to be, you can cast the, the card with, like, your mana. Oh, yeah. Like, like cards like Praetor's Grasp are, like, so sweet, right? They're, like, really cool where you get to steal a card from their deck. But a you lot of the time, you can just it. never you use it. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, like, it now when they they added this little bit of text where you can actually cast them, it's like, yeah, I've watched Gaunti do some pretty sick so, stuff. Yeah, this card is super sweet. Uh, stealing oh. your opponent's bombs. Getting a counterspell against a blue deck when they're not expecting it is super backbreaking. Yeah, uh, huh. and it and it's just lots of decks are actually sort of built to beat themselves. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, no, like against creature decks, they often play lots of creature tutors. So if you hit a creature tutor, you can find your hate bear creature to beat up on their combo. Or maybe just if have something that trades profitably. Exactly. If you're or like a two for one removal creature like Flimton Cavu or something mm. or like Shriek Maw. Uh, against mono red, they have lots of cheap interaction, which is exactly what you want against mono red. Against blue, they have tons of value cards and counter spells, yeah, which I are also good against blue. I watched someone get an ancestral recall with Gaunti. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness! Against combo, they're playing stuff like discard silences. Imagine Gauntying a storm deck, getting a silence, and being able, to, through. being able to silence them on their. Well, combo turn and the best part is that you exile the card forever so i i've i had the gaunty uh recurring nightmare loop going on once <laughs> against scapeshift and i gaunted their valakit so they could never kill me um but it's so awkward because you can't actually just show them you have it because you can't play it but they, they cast scapeshift sack all their lands and they can't find it looking for something someone in the shadow realm so i so on paper this is a this is a two three for four and with, with Death Touch. So it's trading with every creature. What's that new pirate? The the the, the blue black pirate? Taker. Like so is it you wanted to play a second copy of Hostage Taker so suddenly Gaunti gets in? Or like why uh, is this I think before that card? Gaunti's better than Hostage Taker. They're, they're different cards. Okay. So Hostage Taker is is puts you ahead on board. It it steals one of their creatures and lets you cast it. Yeah. So it's Hostage Taker has like a higher ceiling, lower floor. The upside on Hostage Taker is Super, super high. It puts you so far ahead on board. But Gaunti is just always good. It's good on an empty board, whereas Hostage Taker is not great on an empty board or when your opponent has no creatures. This card is sort of like, you know, draw an opponent's card when... It's, it's impulse their library. Impulse had, your opponent's Oh, right, deck, yeah. it digs as well. I had no idea that this card was playable. Right, because, like... I probably I probably opened this in a draft and then shipped it immediately. Well, like, this is, like, a surge card, too. I'm surprised you haven't played this. <laughs> like, I've seen this in Mono Black Control, but I think I overlooked this a bunch of times. Like, impulsing means that you're way less likely to brick. Whiff, yeah. Well, because the only cards this bricks on it are lands. Yeah, And exactly. then you'll find something you can use. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, unless you take their Valakit, which is land. (laughs) And you can still take a land if it's crucial. Like, if you see Dark Depths in the top four, you can snag their Dark Depths. Take a bunch of value lands Take that option away from them. Incredible. And and also, just, like, if you... It also gives you the opportunity to just, like, keep a card exiled and never cast it. Like, if you... Manage to hit a storm deck's tendrils. They don't have a second win condition. <laughs> you never, you never want so you to just never move that card out of the exile zone. Or they start storming off, not knowing they're missing tendrils, and then you tendrils them Quicken. when it storms like ten. It's a sorcery. No. Why you play quicken? We we actually that. sold someone on doing that, by the way. Really? Yeah, yeah. Someone's gonna play quicken in their combo deck now. I'm really excited. Okay. All right. Moving on. Oh, boy. Uh, So in the last episode we did, which was the Iconic Master set review, uh, we had a lot of feedback with people wanting to hear our list of sweet counterspells. So since then, Liam has actually put together a list of all of the counterspells that are relevant in Highlander broken down by tier. And many of them that aren't, I will also add. (laughs) When you get to tier four, probably shouldn't be playing those ones. There are some some (laughs) darkness down there. All right. So I I haven't seen, seen the tier list. What... What... Where is Thwart? Oh, it's tier four. Yeah. What about Foil? Also, also tier, tier four. four. <laughs> what? <laughs> Foil's easy All right, tier look, three. I, you cut them from Seinfeld the last time you played them. I will, I will not hear... It was a medical. Hear... All right. All right. So anyways, we went back to the previous episode and added it there. But if you missed it or you didn't want to go back to the other YouTube video, we'll include the list here because we had a lot of feedback with people asking for that list. So you asked for it and there you have it. Can I just say... Yeah, you we... can't just say, I have this list of counterspells and not expect people to want to see it. <laughs> That's true. So didn't we specifically instruct people to not play foil? Well, most of the time, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but if you're playing a deck about nothing, then maybe... The deck does nothing. Mono blue control. Today's theme. We're back into our let's talk about mini episode archetypes. Thank you. And today we're going to talk about mid-range. Uh, so let's get started off with a brief definition of mid-range and how it works in Singleton. Jer, start us off. So mid-range is an archetype that is very flexible and plays good cards. And when I say plays good cards, I mean it wants all its cards to be sort of valuable all the time. You're going to play cheap, efficient removal. You're going to play cheap, efficient threats. And you're going to play uh, some some top end, but not not too much. And this allows you to have draws where against an aggro deck, you'll use your cheap efficient removal earlier and then play your threats later. And against a control or combo deck, you'll play your cheap efficient threats early and be able to pressure them early. So you can sort of act as a control deck or as an aggro deck, whichever. The the archetype is almost like a hedge where it's just like, these cards are gonna be good in almost every situation. Exactly, like sometimes your removal will be dead and sometimes, you know, you'll draw a mana dork late. But the idea is that your your deck is just like a pile of the best cards. So tying this back into Singleton, which Highlander is, are there any sort of considerations or differences in Highlander mid-range compared to, say, Legacy or Modern or Standard or anything else? Um, sort of. You, you can't get necessarily... Well, like, mid-range isn't really a synergy-based archetype. That's That's sort of one of the key components of mid-range by and large i think it's it's a, a powerful card based archetype and i think it's fairly similar in in highlander that's it's probably the archetype that's actually the most similar in highlander to to other formats yeah i think i think the one difference is that the highlander mid-range deck's way sweeter right like <laughs> sure. in, in in like more conventional formats you just play the four tarmogoyf right because it's yeah. the best one so you got to play four of those but in Highlander, it's like, all right, what two drops am I playing? Yeah, and you yeah, get to yeah, go like, like a lot deeper and play Sil- a lot cooler. Sylvan one. Advocate gets a lot of yeah, right? yeah, a exactly. lot of yeah. and get to start stuff playing. like that. You're like, what is Goyf number three? Oh god, this is gonna get us down into the Goyf no, list. No. Of I don't have a Goyf list. That's not something I've done, nor will I do. <laughs> that joke's there. So, in in mid range, we talk about value, and in value, often comes in the form of card advantage. And, and something I think that we should talk about pretty early on is, if we're talking about card advantage, where does mid-range end and control begin? Because control's uh, a, an archetype that really cares about getting as much value out of every card as possible. So where, where is that line? So I think the difference between mid-range and control primarily lies within deck building. It's a... W- when you're playing control, you're, you're planning on sort of like controlling the board a little early, sculpting your hand, and then... or or like ramping a bit 
and then dealing with the board all at once and then slamming powerful threats that your opponent can't deal with. Whereas with mid-range, you're planning on like interacting along the way and sticking threats when you can. Hmm. At least that's that's how I think about it. So like I'm thinking about blue-white control, and in the first couple turns, you want to maybe cast a cantrip, counter a spell, play a wall. Survive a drink and wrath. Yeah. <laughs> this all sounds great. Whereas blue-white mid-range is looking to like play a cantrip, play a two-drop, play like a counter spell and a cheap removal spell, and then play a four-drop. Mm-hmm. And so... I mean, you figure out the, the best part about uh, blue Eye control is like after you wrath, you go and tap and play consecrated swings, ex- and then you just kill them because they can't. Kill yeah, them. or like Gideon Jura, or or something like that. But in in mid range, you want your threats to come down earlier because you're 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 not playing six drops. You're playing maybe at one or two fives. Mm-hmm. I I think the other distinction too between. Uh, mid-range and control, and this is one of the, the things that's harder to understand. There are times where your mid-range deck is going to be the control in the yep. matchup. Definitely. So if you're playing against an aggro deck, a lot of the time as the mid-range deck, you do take a sort of control role, but the way you build your mid-range deck, you can do both. So in the matchups where it's better for you to be the control, you can take on that control role, you have the cards to do it. But in the matchups where you're the beatdown, you also have the cards to do that. And and that's, that's different from control, which is set up to always be the control deck. Yeah. It's controlling the game from the start every time. Whereas in the mid-range deck, even hand-to-hand contextually might change what kind of game plan you're going to be on for that game. Uh, and so mid-range can slide up and down the spectrum, whereas your control deck or your aggro deck is going to be designed to stay at one end no matter what. And I actually think the the difference is sort of magnified the most when either deck is played against a ramp deck. Hmm. When when you play control against ramp, control is generally very unfavored against ramp because although they, the ramp deck isn't necessarily super threat dense, you're eventually going to run out of counter spells and you just don't have a fast clock to the to beat the ramp deck. So eventually, if you counter their ramp spells, they're just going to play enough lands to start casting huge bombs. And if you let them ramp, they're just going to be able to like cast two things in one turn, and then one thing's going to resolve, and you're going to die. But if you... <laughs> what, you've never heard of the bomb train? Yeah. No, I... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, eventually, it's going to happen. Yeah. And like... it, it, but if you're playing mid-range against ramp, you can use sort of your your cheap disruption, but you're you're more likely to find a clock that's actually relevant to pressure the ramp deck. Hmm. So in, our, in uh, one of our earlier episodes, we were talking about tempo. Uh, and tempo is unique in that it plays a lot of very narrow, very situational cards to take advantage of when it's ahead. But those cards, you, you get a lot of dead draws in that. The way I like to look at mid-range is it's all killer, no filler, to use like an old punk rock album sort of term, <laughs> where it, it's you want as much bang for your buck at every step of the mana curve that you can. And, and you're just like, this card is great. Yeah. This card is you great. Also, like broadly speaking, keep the curve pretty low. Like most mid-range decks hit four and not really much higher. Occasionally they'll see five. You'll you'll play like two or three five drops in green, yeah, like, in green that, based like, for the most part. Well, see, we can talk about that. So <laughs> we have the different types of mid-range, and this segues nice into it. So I have we have sort of the traditional creature mid-range, which we call like the I affectionately name it the green idiots. You know, you're just They're like I want to play dorks. Pardon me. <laughs> Uh, well. versus versus like a blue base mid-range deck. And I think they can have slightly different curves. So I put together a Sultai mid-range deck. Sultai, that's not the word. Selesnia mid-range deck. Um, and it plays a couple six Those drops. Those are very different things. <laughs> <laughs> they both have green. True. I was going to say, I, I played Sultai mid-range recently. Yeah. But I, I'm playing uh, a couple six drops in it. I'm playing Carnage Tyrant. I'm playing uh, Prime Time, but the whole the whole goal of that deck is to play Acceleration on turn one, and then just slam like three to six drop every turn for the rest of the game, and then just try and value them out until they can't eventually answer something. Now you would uh, distinguish that from a ramp deck in that like you're not you have steps along the way as opposed yeah. to just like ramp 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 giant thing giant thing giant thing. This is yeah. just like little bit of ramp that's maybe also creatures and you know some stuff that's like a three drop that kills you and then a four drop that kills you and the then whole, a six drop the that whole kills goal you. is every card should be able to kill you i think some decks accelerate but don't ramp and the difference i see mm. is like acceleration is you play things like turn one mana dorks or maybe your deck plays a mox or a soul ring as points and you're just like using them and it's nice when you draw them but that's not integral to your deck strategy whereas ramp decks want to like it, accelerating their mana is a key part of the deck's strategy like you're pl- 
devoting a good portion of your deck to yeah. ensure you're you're going to be ahead on mana and you're utilizing that by putting big mana threats in your deck. Because have we ever explained why it's called ramp? No, but I think that it's likely a well enough known magic term well, that we don't have to. Well, for those of you who don't know, it comes I from, don't know, Alex. It, it I was trying to avoid this situation. From the card Rampant Growth, oh. which is one in a green, and it puts a land into play. It's just... How old is, is that this it? card? Actually? Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. But why? Really? So you didn't know? I had no idea. I was like, ramp, because ramps go up. I mean, like I, I just had accepted it. I, th I, I mean, maybe it's a, a, a play on words, but yeah, that's my understanding of why ramp is called ramp. Yeah, the ramp, because curves go up, is... That's like a helpful shorthand for it. Also, your mic's rubbing, Alex. But the, uh, <laughs> but the uh, the it's because of it's because of rampant growth. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's an acronym for really amped magic plays. Originally printed in Mirage. Oh, that art. Some sort of. What's, what's the other old art for that Brazil. card? Is it Onslaught or Tempest? Tempest. Uh, this Show one? me Tempest. Yes. Oh, that one's pretty good. That yeah. So this, gross. That's kind of like odd. Because this, this card's like newer than. Like is, this isn't even the first ramp huh. spell, right? Isn't well, isn't Mox like, came out. Mox came well, out but, originally. But like nature's lore, even like like a two, like a one in a green ramp spell. That was a portal. Weird. Well, anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, right. I could be wrong. Quite getting, the detour. Getting ahead, getting you've way you've completely detoured us. I know what I was gonna say though. Don't worry. Uh, the the one thing I was gonna say is the difference between acceleration and ramp two is like a mid range deck. Your best draws involve. Uh, playing some kind of mana acceleration on turn one, but if you don't have it, you're still like reasonably likely to win the game. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a ramp deck and you don't play a ramp spell in the first four turns, your odds are you're pretty goozled. Yeah, are dwindling mm -hmm. quickly because well, you get to turn four and you're like, well, I sure do have a lot of eight and nine drops. <laughs> yeah, some some of the time. We're dead. So why is something like Jeskai mid-range a mid-range deck? Why is that not a control deck or a tempo deck? So, or an aggro deck. Or an aggro deck. So it, it, it has blue, it has a lot of cheap removal. I've always assumed mid-range, like the best way to understand mid-range is these creature decks where you're playing great things. Why, yeah. why, how can we, let's talk about the blue, so, the blue mid-range yeah, deck. Yeah, so the, the blue-based mid-range decks are typically looking to use uh, a bunch of very powerful cards, so they play all of the best creatures in their color. So colors. So most typically it's Jeskai, though Esper is also super good. Mm -hmm. um, so Saltai and Saltai. Sure, yeah. Um, and then you play all the best removal from those colors, mm -hmm. and you're going to play like a typical green mid-range deck, except instead of the mana acceleration from green, uh, you're issuing that for card selection with blue um, and. Counter spells as well is, is what you what you typically throw in, and so you don't play a lot. It's actually a major misconception. A, a lot of the reasons why Jeskai did so well initially is because everyone assumed it was a tempo deck and that it had twenty counter spells in it, and it, it just didn't. It has like eight. It's not playing very many. In fact, it doesn't even play every single one from the first tier of the tier <laughs> yeah, list. Yeah, it just like it plays all the very best ones, right? With like no downside and just and so or sorry, yeah, yeah, no, no, no just like it, it, I think that's kind of a theme of the deck is it just plays like the top like X of 50 or 60 percent yeah. of like the highest tier right. of, of any category you can think and of. And so what the Jeskai decks in particular and also the Asper decks are looking to do is they'll uh, play only cards that are really good, their removal almost always one-for-ones with you, right? They're playing a lot of one-for-one stuff and then eventually you've, either you've been grinding or they've been killing you with a creature, they're gonna resolve a dig through time, they're gonna resolve a treasure cruise, they're gonna resolve an ancestral recall. Factor one, fiction. Factor fiction. Some blue card advantage spell, and unlike a control deck, they're not trying to resolve six of these in a game. They want to resolve one. And that one gives them that last little push to end the game a lot of the time. Or, yeah. you know, it at least bridges them into the next stage of the game where maybe they do have to resolve it again, but but not always. Or or they're playing like a powerful four drop like Kess or Gideon Ally of Zendikar or something that's just going to take over the game by itself and provide virtual card advantage because it's going to take their opponent three or four cards just to trade with this it. one card yeah, they played. Two, two things about the Jeskai mid-range deck. One, I definitely fell victim to thinking that deck was a control deck or a tempo deck. Well, it's because they always have it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's because any, for a long, like, blue mid-range decks in Highlander are actually, like, a fairly recent development. Yeah. Yeah. development in the format. For a while, people always thought, well, if you're playing blue, you have to jam all these counter spells, you have to jam all these draw spells. And that just almost shoehorns you into playing either the cheap ones or with kind like cheap or control. Yeah, either pushes you into either tempo or control. But then eventually people started figuring out, well, what if I just play the best ones? And then like instead of playing like a super base blue deck, play like an actual three color deck. And I think them printing more and more dual lands have actually 
was the thing that allowed hmm. these decks to yeah, like those like like Spire Bluff Canal getting and printed is inspiring like, vantage, inspiring as well. vantage, yeah. really good. I mean, just is... and even like before the off color check lines were printed in original Innistrad, it was like mm-hmm. yeah, like the the just guy mid range is basically an Azorius mid range deck splashing red. Yeah, like lightning bolt and electrolyze and, and dragons, mantis rider. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, like the um, Thundermaw Hellkite and um, Stormbreath Dragon are the only double red spells that the deck ever plays. Yeah, I don't... Uh, fiery confluence. Oh yeah, yeah. that's that's, that's a newer yeah. one. But yeah, yeah it's like there's a tiny handful of double red spells. Yeah, not that many. That's true. The other thing I found in Jeskai midrange that I never even thought about was the card Flame Slash. Yeah, cards. Really like the insane. first time, the first time somebody cast it against me, I was just like, really. Isn't this just bad? I, I was I was always under the impression that if it doesn't go to the dome, it's not good. So Flame Slash is a single red mana sorcery spell, and it just says deal four damage to target creature. And I had been trained <laughs> somehow subconsciously that that something of this effect is bad, that it has to be lightning bolt or chain lightning, something that has that that flexibility back and forth. But it turns out that there are so many powerful creatures in in our format that have four toughness that flame slash became it's it's now a staple in our format it's really good yeah well and to get back to what jeremy was saying this was bad right when when people were only either playing the cheap counter spells and the cheap interaction and you're playing a tempo deck you needed your burn spells to go to the face hmm. and if you were playing the expensive counter spells and the sweepers you didn't want to play this it was it was too linear it was a it one did, for one it was like a one for one it wasn't even instant speed yeah and so it took people realizing like we just want all our cards to be good and we want them to trade efficiently to actually want to play a card like Flame Slash. Uh, and that, that sort of gets back to what I was saying initially, right? You want all your removal to one-for-one one trade with everything. Uh, and Flame Slash does that like to a T. I cannot tell you how many four drops I've had Flame Slash. Like, Kills a lot of stuff. So tilting. Well, here, I've got a question then, because we often talk about mid-range as, as being a value deck. Um, and and one of the things it wants to do is generate card advantage. How is a deck like Jeskai Midrange profitable when it's playing all these one for ones, these great one for one counter spells, these great one for one removals? As, as Liam mentioned earlier, they're they're playing these, but then they're gonna they're gonna find a spot to resolve uh, something. And, like and so they're gonna have an ancestral visions ticking down while they're doing this, or they're mm-hmm. gonna find a spot to resolve factor fiction, or they're gonna find a spot to resolve dig through time, or as I mentioned, they're gonna find a they're gonna one for one you, one for one you, one for one you. They're gonna run you out of threats, and then they're gonna f- finish off by playing Gideon Alexandricar, playing Brimaz, King of Arescos. These threats that are just like super, super efficient, and you're at the point where you've you've played out your best threats, and their one threat is just gonna just massively outclass yours yeah. exactly. and be really inexpensive and come down quickly. So we haven't talked about this before, but Jared and I have this fun little thought experiment we do with decks, okay. uh, which is called the Sadistic Sacrament Test. Uh, <laughs> we came up with this in a dark bar, oh, no. um, and it's basically, so this Sadistic Sacrament is a sorcery that's three black. Black, black, black. Yeah. Not not three and a black, right? Yeah, yeah, it's black, 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 okay. and it has seven kicker. Uh <laughs> Sure does. <laughs> you get to exile three cards from target player's library, and if you kick it, you get to exile 15 cards from target player's library. Okay. So the Sadistic Sacrament test is, if you had a kicked Sadistic Sacrament cast against you at the start of the game, could you still win the game? Um, and oh. Yeah, and there's a bunch of decks where the which you wouldn't think of where the answer is just no. Goblins probably can't win the game if you Sadistic Sacrament. What? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. true. Yeah, you really? get rid of all their power cards. If you take the 15 best cards that are goblins, like, yeah. they're oh, just yeah, playing, like, you hit a all their super... Lords. And yeah. you leave all their lands, and then, And like... you, you, you take Price of Progress, you take all Blood their moon. Lords, you take all their... Are those, like, super, like, Synergy get cards. you cards? Oh. Yeah. And then they're just, like, a super... Like a really underwhelming aggro deck. Yeah, Hoof and, probably as well. Yeah, oh, same yeah. thing with. Yeah. Oh, Hoof would fold so hard to mm. this. So, yeah. the reason I bring this up is that mid range decks, by and large, pass the Sadistic Sacrament with, with test. With flying colors. Yeah, just because like, in, unless you're going to do something me. goofy like take 15 creatures, even then they still have 10. They can probably still kill you. Um, they have all their planeswalkers. They have everything, right? And so. It's it's this idea that there is no angle that the deck doesn't have covered, right? They they the and and the blue midrange decks exemplify this uh, because of the card selection in particular. Um, so they get to filter away. One of the classic midrange problems is you have the wrong answers at the wrong uh, for the time, 
And blue lets you solve that problem. You get to brainstorm so away those yeah, those removal spells against the control deck, replace them with some nice counter spells, whatever you want. Because oh, counter spells, by and large, work against anything. As long as well, they're well, not great against aggro. They're a little yeah, expensive. Yeah, they're, they're, they're slow. Yeah. And, yeah. But, it, yeah. but, but, yeah, but, but yeah. They, they can be live against almost any spell. Yeah, Def for sure. Definitely. Yeah, so. yeah. They are a, a catch-all, but... But yeah, so if you're interested in the Sadistic Sacrament test, uh, tweet me your decks, and I'll tell you whether they pass or not. <laughs> mm, That's really uh, funny. Like, I took the best hey, 15 spells in your deck. Look at this. Mm-hmm. I think, does Storm pass this? Even no, not Storm Storm doesn't pass not kick Sadistic Sacrament. <laughs> you like, take Lotus, Tendrils, and... Demonic Tutor? No, Pirates. Salvagers. Spell bomb. Yeah, they have just, like, they only have like one or two ways to win, right? Yeah. Like, you know what? You don't even <laughs> this Trinket Mage is going all the way to... Yeah. No, I know, but all it's just like... You just can, you just, just for can. extra. I guess you take Trinket Mage to make sure you're really not dead. Anyway, we're, we're getting oh off track God. here. Yeah. By the way, I saw someone actually catch this, cast this in a game. Uh, was it kicked? And it was not kicked. It was unkicked, and it was against a Time Vault player. And oh. tragically, the Time Vault player had Tutor for Time Vault the time before. They already had it in their hand! So, oh, it was man. really tragic. Oh, I was wow. like, oh man, you wow. really should be getting this person, and then they lost. All right, well, this is an excellent part to the next segment we have, which is, why should I play mid-range? Or why should somebody watching play mid-range? So, mm-hmm. so sell this format to me. Do you like gas? Yes. <laughs> well, why, why not all the gas in the world? <laughs> so, Are you a Texas oil baron now? <laughs> Oh. The, propane. That ain't me. The reason I, I, I love midrange <laughs> and the, the reason propane. I hate playing against it sometimes is because midrange is the easiest deck to have it all with. Yep. You know when you, you're playing against magic and you're you just like Plain. throw your cards down on the table and you're just like, man, my opponent just had it all. This is the easiest archetype to do it with because I've all every one of their cards is it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're the kind of person who finds uh, like having a lot of game and a lot of matchups fun, uh, then this is a good a good archetype for you. You're going to be able to play Magic every time. Um, mid-range gives you a chance in any game, basically. You yeah. sit down and there's there's, there's virtually no matchup where mid-range is like hard, hard unfavored. There's some where it's a little unfavored maybe, but but you're going to get to play. You're, you're going to sit down, you're going to cast some spells. Uh, your opponent's probably going to cast some spells. And then they're gonna die because you're gonna have it all. Uh, so, so if you if, if you find that kind of thing fun, right? If you find value fun, as you say, as Alex says, if you find gas, all the gas in the world, fun. The, the other thing I think in, in mid range is that mid range is definitely the archetype that lets you play like the most off the wall cards. Like you can slide. You can slide some real heaters into you want to get into some wumpa into that yeah, deck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of cards look really good next to Stoneforge Mystic and Tarmogoyf. That's exactly <laughs> true. Yeah, what's your deck? It's it's Goyf, Wistage, uh, Shivan Wampus. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Shivan what now? <laughs> Wasn't I think there's ben, somebody in the alley sobbing saying he killed me with Shivan Wampus? So that cards a six six. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a four mana six six. Alex, what's wrong with the Shivan Wampus? I think Ben Wheeler. There it is. So Shivan Wampus, three and a red for a six six with trample. Mm-hmm. When it comes into play, any player may sacrifice a land. If a player does, put it on top of your library. Yeah. So this is actually a red green land destruction card. You you can't actually play this. Yeah. The Wumpus is great. You can also play it if your name is Benjamin Wheeler. I was going to say. He talks about playing this no, card no, no, a lot. No, 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 no. Didn't we have, didn't we have the Wumpus showdown? Where he was just like, for an entire month, if a decklist won with a Wumpus in it, he'd give them like a Bloodstained Mire or oh, something sure. like that. Oh, sure. But he wasn't playing the Wumpus. He was making <laughs> other people do it. Yeah, and then we had the the uh, Masticor March, where you had to try and win with a Masticor on your list. That's much more doable. Yeah, there's a lot of really great Masticors. Until Masticor? That card's actively cool. fine. I know. Yeah, there's like four playable Masticors. We we have fun here <laughs> at Canadian Highlander. It's yeah. a bizarre format. So if you if your if your local meta's put in a challenge where they want you to play like weird corner cards, slam it in a mid range deck. It won't feel out of place. Mm-hmm. Well, it may feel out of place, but the other cards are just so good it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Somebody's pointing at somebody. Uh, sorry, I was I was trying to be subtle, but it didn't work. Alex, can you just check your connection? The, the oh, no. Is, no, it's just I'm, I'm just occasionally losing Alex. I'm like, no, Alex, come back. Tell me about the Wumpuses. <laughs> <laughs> the Wumpi. Wow. I believe wump-pie. it's Wumpi. I want to hear your Wumpi secret uh, deck. No, I think Wump-a-pose. it actually is, is Wumpus. It's just, it's the yeah. same in the plural and the singular. Probably. Well, it's fourth declension, so. I, I believe you. All right, you yeah. said that with authority. I trust okay. you. It's Latin. The reason, I don't know what that means. <laughs> the reasons why I play mid-range is, is if you want... 
every draw to feel good. And, yeah. and I think it's probably one of the more consistent archetypes as well, where, where it has a very straightforward linear game plan. Sometimes too consistent, because you draw a hand that's just like two drop, three drop, four drop, five drop. You're like, well, I know what every turn is going to be. Sweet. Like, unless a tempo deck sets me off a turn, it's just like pretty straightforward and figure stuff out. Let's, uh, let's talk about the dark side of mid-range. The dark side, the dark side is, is actually just kind of like off-white. Because the dark side, as you have written down here, is that like you, you have game against everything. Yeah. But you also like aren't going to dominate in nope. any matchup. No. You, you are a jack of all and master of none. So uh, one of the I can't remember who told me this. I wish I could give them credit, but somebody told me if you show up to a tournament with a 60-40 deck, so a chance it has a pretty favorable matchup against everything, but no great matchups, you shouldn't be surprised if you go three two in the night, because it's just like oh I have a 60-40 chance in five rounds I won three and I lost two. That's 60-40. That is how that math works. Right, and so you're like you're you're always going to feel fine, but. Sometimes it, when, when you're brewing and you only have a good matchup, it's, it's better to really solidify the matchup you're supposed to win so you win that every time mm -hmm. than to sort of spread it out. Mid-range yeah. just kind of spreads it out. Yeah, this, this is a, as opposed to strategies where like you will annihilate some people and just fold to others. This yeah. is just sort of like, I'm pretty good against everything. I mean, one thing you can do, at least in mid-range, though, if you, one of the, sorry, this is one more pro about, about mid-range. I'm sliding in and now. Sure, please, yeah. Uh, mid-range is a pretty good deck to tune. Uh, because yeah. Because I, I sort of alluded to it in that you can play some real heaters in this deck. You can also actually play some real heaters in this deck, right? Some good cards. There are enough really good mid-range cards at this point that you are cutting from 200. Yeah. And so picking the right sort of 60-odd cards that you're going to play um, for the metagame can matter a lot more. You get really rewarded in this in, in playing mid-range for reading the room well and for building a deck that's good against the meta. Uh, a lot of the times you can construct your mid-range in, in your mid-range deck in a way that's gonna improve your matchups a bit, right? As you say, it's still not gonna get a lot better than maybe 65% against people, but it, it really is something where you can you can tune your deck and that time you just like happen to shift in a little bit more artifact destruction, and you come up against that damn blood moon, red moon, stupid Imperion. Blood Imperion, madcap experiment. Man, Surge, You're it's so been like months of you talking about this. I still haven't beat that deck. I still can't beat that deck. Well, I know what I'm on Celestium. <laughs> I'm on Celestium midrange right now. I'm on disenchant.deck, and I ran into scape shift and lost. In fairness, one of the only people playing that deck is Robin Sorensen, and he's much better than all of us. So. Yeah, he's a really, really good magic player. Like, he could play, like, he could probably beat us with a pack of playing cards. Yeah, 90, 99 cards and a Wumpus, and you're just like, how am I losing this matchup? 99 Mountains and a Wumpus. You're like, I can't beat this. Nine, 99 Mountains Countryside Crusher is a classic Sorensen archetype. Wow! Oh, that's a real deck. So, so the... the in Victoria, we have a house rule about mulligans, which is the Sorensen mulligan, which yeah. is that you go seven six six. Well, it didn't always used to go seven six six five five four four three three two one. It used to go seven six six five 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 four 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 three 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 two 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 two. I'm now playing Pit, by the way, for anyone concerned. One 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 one, and then zero. And I have heard tales of one Tyler Woolley playing the 99 no, card. It was Tyler Roberts. Was it okay? Anyway, playing this deck and taking every single mulligan available to them. To get the countryside. So <laughs> to try and hit the countryside crusher. So for those of you at home, countryside crusher is a three mana three three for one red red. At the beginning of your upkeep, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a land, put that card in the graveyard and repeat the process. Whenever a land card is put into your graveyard from anywhere, put a plus one, plus one counter on the Countryside Crusher. So the goal is to 90 somebody. It's not even good! So it doesn't even have trample. You can't actually play 99 Mountains because then you just deck yourself. Yeah, I was you gonna like, say, it's you like, need like one or two other they spells. They block but... with a mana dork and then you untap and die because you can't draw. Yeah. I mean, surely we can. Alright. Jared, we need to talk after this. <laughs> What? Well, we're building this deck. I've tried to put this. I've tried to put this in like life from the loam value. Okay, you know, while you're making this, 
Make treasurehunt.net. Well, we'll put that in as well. That, that, yeah, treasurehunt. I mean, and you're, you're, swans of Brynar Ghoul. Yeah, I've made this deck. I can. Seismic so the problem is, I keep cutting Countryside Crusher for a Knight of the Reliquary, which is just, I think, a better version of what this card wants to do. Are you often, comparing Countryside Crusher to Knight of the Reliquary? Yes, because I have tried playing them both, and I have always cut Crusher. It turns out in a land deck, you often want to have lands. You want to make those land drops, and the fact that you never get to draw another land for the rest of the game unless you have a cantrip makes Countryside Crusher really awkward. Yeah. Knight of the Reliquary, on the other hand, is another three-mana card. This one's a 2-2 two, two for one green-white. It gets plus one, plus one for each land in your graveyard. Notice the synergy right here. And you can sacrifice a forest or plains to find any other land. Okay, but what if you played both? I've tried both. At the both. same time. I've tried both. And and so here's what happened. Here's what happened. You draw Eladrami's Call. Uh-huh. Okay? You have neither of these decks. You have a pretty favorable board state. Right. Which one are you getting? Knight. Because what happens, you always get Knight. Because Knight actually gets value out of the lands that are already in your graveyard. So it often comes into play bigger. And every draw you get later in the game just sets you up in a better situation. Countryside Crusher always goozles you. It always goozles you. I don't think it ever worked the way I wanted it to work. Everyone's like, Countryside Crusher, cool. Lightning Bolt? Or I'm just like, or I'm stuck on land for the rest of the game. All right. There's some card from, like, Shadowmoor that gives red creatures haste. <laughs> and that... I don't even know what it is. It's no, like a one mana. Like, no, no. Christmas no. Wisp gives a creature haste and makes it red. Do That's... you want like Dragon's Breath or something in this deck? Are we playing Anger up in this deck? Do we get Anger in this deck? Are we just brewing a live deck on camera oh, right now? This is awful. Don't listen to us. Just turn well, off the podcast. Don't, don't listen, don't listen to me. Don't watch Limited maybe. Resources instead. Huh. Huh. They don't uh, talk about Highlander very often. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Jared was on Constructed Resources. All right. I was. All right, all right. Graham is looking up from other things. There you go. Suit Stoke Kindler. This isn't even the one I was thinking for of. For a 1-1 one, one for 2 for 1 and a, and a black-red hybrid. It has haste and tap. Target black or red creature gains haste until end of turn. I think this must be the one. Okay. You don't even want to give your countryside crusher haste. You don't want to attack when it's a 3-3. Three, three. You need it the next turn anyways. Did somebody mm. lose a bet to get this on the on the podcast? <laughs> like on camera on the podcast? <laughs> It's like, my boy, Liam? <laughs> Is this or Crimson Wisps? Because they're the only ones from Shadowmoor that do what you, th All right. what, what you well, think. Um, my job is done. Back to mid-range. Debt repaid. So, <laughs> I have another reason why I think it's not always great to play mid-range. Uh, no. And that reason is you're playing fair magic. And in Highland, we increasingly talk about the times where some decks are doing unfair things. And it's kind of tough as the fair deck to sit there when the combo deck is just goozling you and you don't have much to it. Well, it can yeah. kind of feel bad when you're, you've are you like <laughs> controlled the game, they have no cards in hand, they have like a grindstone in play, and then they just like top deck Painter Servant and yeah. deck you. And you're just like, this game was going so well, the I needed deck... one more turn. Because the mid-range deck doesn't really play closers, because closers aren't a great top deck. So what it normally is is just like fair cards the whole way through. And so you're like, I got this three drop, take three, next turn, take four, next turn, take four, maybe like do a little bit of extra damage. You got this on this great four turn clock, and then finally, after your opponent hasn't interacted with you at all, they're just like, oh, doomsday clock, you lose. And you're like, okay, I didn't really have anything I could have done to like, my game was doing exactly what it was supposed to do. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, in the since you're a mid-range deck, you're trying to play a wide breadth of interaction, but oftentimes, especially against the really uninteractive combo decks, you need like very pointed yeah. interaction against them. I wouldn't know anything like about tempo. this, by the way. Um, but yeah, like it, like you can you can look at it very clearly, right? The blue-based mid-range decks, like we talked about, they just don't play that many counter spells. Yeah. So you know maybe you counter one or two spells, but eventually. The combo deck gets you. Well, they, yeah, they cast silence, and you're just like, well, yeah, or something like that. <laughs> I guess they I have counter a silence, and then, and then bluff another counter spell. Um, and if you're playing one of the one of the more like creature based or maybe the black based mid range decks, because um, typically I think those are those are the three mid range colors that I think of are, are blue, green, and black. And sometimes have, all together. Sometimes all together, but I think you need to have one of those colors. Um, I guess you could play like no, like white, white, red mid range, not. Big white mid-range may be playable, <laughs> but once you add red, it's no good. Um, but yeah, I, I think you need one of those things, and if you're playing blue, you can't play that many counter spells or else you're no longer a mid-range deck. And if you're playing black, I mean, this is like the classic mantra, right? You can't thought seize the top of their deck. Yeah. You know, you, Gaunty you, you, can. 
You're not <laughs> strictly wrong, I suppose. But yeah, um, get him on that. Get him on that Gonti Caracas lock. <laughs> well, recurring nightmare. That's that's what I was doing. Is this doing, enough you know? reason to play Thought Scour or predict? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I did get to predict someone when they had a Corsair Crucifix in play recently. That was fun. <laughs> that feels pretty good. That's yeah. hot. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Anybody else? I mean, I think that kind of hits the, the 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 main good points and bad points about mid range is it's just a fair deck. You get to play these great cards, and sometimes only playing really good medium cards can cost you. Um, we talk about answers not always being right because you can't play super narrow answers because they might also get you and they're just not applicable and always having this jack of all trades sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And and one note, if if you're starting a community and looking for decks to start out with, like proxying or start to build towards, mid-range decks al almost always provide super good matchups against mm. a wide variety of things and smashing two mid-range decks into each other is like some yeah, of the like best really magic good. you can get. It's pretty it's great. Like, that was me on Monday. Super interactive, like the games are super fun. I had an incredible 35-minute um, game one mid-range mirror on Monday. I was on Celestia mid-range, and I was against four-color no-blue mid-range. And it was incredible. We are just like sweating, and like, oh, this is such good magic. <laughs> we, we drew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even care, it was awesome. Your opponent then beat me in the last round. It's very tragic. Yeah. Um, one one thing I'd like to to briefly talk about before we we maybe move towards the the ending segment of the show is just uh, I think we've been a little bit vague about what kind of color combinations you typically see mid range decks in. So there's your green white one we've talked about. We've talked about Jeskai. I briefly mentioned mentioned Esper, um, but then what do you what do you all think are the other really good uh, mid range color combinations? Jair's played Soltai to great success before. Yeah. Um, Four color, no blue is probably the most popular one. We we, we forgot about Kata Blade. Oh yeah, so it's, yeah, just oh, Bant. Yeah, Bant Blade. Bant Blade. You just have like all these these great uh, green creatures and all the swords, Stoneforge. I and... think that's more of an aggro deck. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, you're like. I guess you are going real fast. Game, like, you're like cataclysm in Armageddon. You're just like trying to play as many things before you get to four mana in Armageddon. Like, all right, or all right. I guess, I guess Bant Blade is, is fine. But you Bant do... Mid-Range is playable. Yeah, Trent, totally Trent playable. and I came up with a very uh, sick Bant Mid-Range deck, so titled Bant Bad Stuff. Um, <laughs> That's not what we... No, 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 but it, it's just because you play a lot of like cards that are good, but somewhat anti-synergistic. Anti uh, they don't have a lot of synergy. The classic okay. curve of yeah, Wall of Omens into Loxodon Smiter into Supreme Verdict. Precisely. What? You lock them down with the first what? two. So they, they gotta go wide to beat the Wall of Omens and the Loxodon Smiter, and then they never see the Supreme Verdict right into your trap. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> I really want to play... What's what's Path of God? What's that four-mana card? Or Settle, Settle the, the wreckage. wreckage. I played so much of that today. I really want to play Settle the Wreckage in mid-range. I really do. I, I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to bait my opponent into having like a creature fair matchup where you're attacking each other over and over, and like attack gates down and look at them and be like, "I'm not lethal on the swing. You should attack me." And then cast Settle the Wreckage, which I'm going to slide very elegantly for the card description is a four mana instant for two white white. <laughs> Exile all attacking creatures target player controls. That player may search their library for any number of basic lands that equal. Many? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's <laughs> it's called Settle the Wreckage, but we affectionately call it Path of God. Digression over. Or, so wrath, I wanna, or wrath to exile. Wrath to exile. So I want to be like attacking back and forth and then be shields down and then kind of try and bait them into it and then four for one them. I, yeah. I have bad news for you. The card you want to play in that slot is comeuppance. What's comeuppance? Oh, yeah. Three, three and a right. white. And it's it basically reads, uh, when you cast it, you prevent all damage that target player and creatures they control would deal to you. And... It doesn't target a player. It does it not? What is it? Prevent all damage that would be dealt to you and planeswalkers you control this turn by sources you don't control. Oh, yeah, if yeah, damage from better. a creature source is prevented this way, it deals damage back to that creature. And if damage from a non-creature source is prevented this way, it deals damage back to that player. So oh, I've, I've come up into Price of Progress before. Whoa! <laughs> 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 At first I was going to be like, really? Four mana fog? And then you're like, no, take 12. Oh, yeah, this... To kill a Johnny. Does the comeuppance on the price of progress that because price is dealing damage to both players, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. So they're taking their damage and your damage. Oh yeah. Oh, so they take spicy. They, they just died. They nice. just, they <laughs> just eat the whole oh, thing. Oh my goodness. Okay. Interesting. I gotta get one of these. Yeah. This might. Uh, I'm gonna have to put this and worship in my deck now. What are you guys oh, doing man. to my deck? Just like four mana. Oh, we're turning nothing. it into bad, bad stuff, obviously. All right. Something else to talk about. Back on a mid range topic. Uh, <laughs> just because we talked about the good, we talked about the bad. We sound like we're discouraging it. Something I believe very strongly 
is that a healthy metagame is one in which mid-range has to be able to survive. Mid-range should be sort of like the canary in the minds of your format. Yeah. And if you have created a format, either through the decks that are showing up or, I mean, we suggest points where we are. You could even have your own way of policing your metagame. But if you've created a metagame where mid-range can't thrive, something has gone wrong. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> maybe maybe thrive is not the right word. Like you sure. don't want mid range to be can the best deck. But yeah, you need mid range to be a, a playable deck. If people who are showing Definitely. up with, with mid range are just never gonna have a chance of winning ever, that that likely means something's gone awry. Yeah. And and on like so Jer's still on the council. Fun fun fact, I'm not anymore. Oh no. Uh, well I'm writing the LSAT in a month, so oh, okay. I decided to <laughs> step down. It was, it take was my talents choice, to a different thing. Yeah. Thank um, you, thank you for your time and your service, former councilman. Yeah, I'll be back. Okay. Uh <laughs> Maybe we'll see, but um, hopefully, hopefully. But at, at any rate, when when we were on the council, Jared and I together, we've been on the council twice before. That's definitely a barometer we look at. Is like, is is mid range just completely unplayable, or the 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 inverse can happen? Mid range can be too playable. Yeah, that's true. Um, so mid range is, I think, really important for uh, diagnosing the metagame, uh, because. If, if it's getting to the point where just playing good cards is the best thing you can be doing, okay, maybe that means that we need to help linear, linear strategies a little bit. And if it's not a thing you can do at all, then the linear decks are obviously too good. Hmm. And, right. and just as a, after we were talking about settle the wreckage and comeuppance, I want to talk about another slight difference between mid-range and control. Sure. You don't typically see sweepers in, in mid-range decks. You see, like, maybe conditional ones. Okay. Uh, so you'll see things like Settle the Wreckage that only will only hit opponent's creatures. You'll see Comeuppance that will only hit opponent's creatures. You see Toxic Deluge, which can... You can yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. variable. You can kill the small stuff and leave you your make bigger things around. Yeah. And so that's sort of another good, like, test to see whether your deck is a mid-range deck or, or a control deck is whether you want everything to die or just your opponent's things. Well, I mean, I think the answer is always just your opponent's things, but... Yeah, and control, <laughs> you know. You're fine wrathing your own walls yeah. or whatever. Yeah, look, look there, there are casualties sometimes. <laughs> you gotta, gotta make exceptions. You can't have a conscience about all this stuff. Snapcaster comes down and is like, Hey, boss, I noticed the um, <laughs> the spell you want me to bring back. It's uh, it's Wrath of God. Um, you know I'm going to be on the board. You know that's <laughs> everything, right? Like, I... Okay, yeah. Cast it. Cast it. <laughs> just like Fire up the blaster. Hit the job. big red button. <laughs> yeah. I hate this job. You're just like pointing at the wrath of God in your like pile of burnt spell books, and you're just like, do I have to? Oh, this this got really morbid. <laughs> Poor Tiago, whatever his name Jam. is. Yeah. Uh, Man, what is the most discarded spell in Magic? Is it Snapcaster Mage or the Solemn Simulcrum? I like mean, both of those are discarded just... spell. No, 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 I mean, in, in it's terms basking of... basking Rootwall, obviously, most discarded. <laughs> but I mean, just thinking about a spell that is being set up to fail. Oh, Like, sure. most cards you want to have oh, come like and play. like most thrown under the bus? Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, walls Both, are pretty... The, like, those walls you hope will survive, so you're like, we'll put this out here. But, like, Snapcaster, how many times do you Snapcaster Wrath, and you just set this card up to die? Or you, or like, you just, like, Snapcaster before blocks target some value spell, and you're just like, get under the bus, <laughs> Snapcaster. <laughs> Second main phase, look for an answer. <laughs> I wonder what the count of Tarmogoyf's eating Snapcasters is. <laughs> it's gotta be high. In combat. <laughs> just like, Tarmogoyf just like, rampaging just over us. Just sitting there with like, a distended belly, it's like, oh, There's too many Snapcasters. <laughs> I'm not hungry anymore. Alright, uh, any any clothing, closing thoughts on mid-range before we move to our clothing Thoughts in general? No, I've now put us on too much of a, ta a tangent already. I think I'm good. All right. So let's move on to Powerful Magic, our normal closing segment where we talk about sweet moments in magic that more often happen to us than from us. Uh, Alex, change eventually. Alex, tell me about the... All my stories are about giving Mac a hard time. Oh, Mac. <laughs> I just realized. Um, the, okay, so this was like... Highland or some night, I can't remember which if it was like Monday or Thursday. Uh, I had put together Soul Sisters. So what's Soul Sisters? Soul Sisters is, is a bad deck. <laughs> also you a reasonable song by someone, Train, right? This, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's based on a modern deck <clears throat> that plays a bunch of uh, creatures that gain you life when other creatures uh, enter the battlefield. It's, it's based around, the, like, the name comes from the card Soul Warden. And there's a couple of functional reprints of this. Souls Attendant, yeah, Souls Essence Attendant, Warden, Oriok Champion. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's like almost a half dozen of them. And what they all have in common what is... What they all have in common is like whenever a creature 
comes into play, you gain a life. And the best ones are any creature. Mm. The worst ones are creature like when it comes into play under your control. Okay. Um, it turns out this deck was pretty good against like red-based aggro. I can't imagine why. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Because um, life gain. Uh, I I was against Mac, who is our resident uh, goblin expert. And yep. The goblin king. We were sort of like fighting and. It was not going well because, like, I was just climbing further and further out of, like, yeah, uh, his, his reach. When you're and playing an aggro deck and you see your opponent's life total going up instead of down. <laughs> that's that's hard to work with. And I think it... I feel like he had, like, a glimmer of hope at one point, And then near the end of the game, I... Either on his turn or, like, on my upkeep or something, I cast um, Secure the Wastes for 10. <laughs> now, what's Secure the Wastes? Uh, well, it's... White X okay. make X soldiers. <laughs> How many soul wardens did you have in play? At least one or two. Yeah, maybe good. two. It was just like, the old make 10 power, make 20, 20. life. <laughs> he was like, okay, we're done. Is this good? <laughs> yeah, it was it's just like, make 10 one ones, also gain 10 life. What's funny is how gaining some incidental life actually, like, like you wouldn't think the soul wardens are good, but they're they're humorously effective against a bunch of things. The, like, Kiki Pod deck cannot beat two Resolved Soul Wardens. Or, sorry, three. Three Resolved Soul right. Wardens. They, they can't do it. They have to kill one of them before they yeah. can go off. And, like, Scape Shift... Well, actually, it, that's only if you have Pester Might, right? Even Restoration Angel, which has three power. If you have three Soul Wardens... Oh, they can't win. They can't yeah. win. <laughs> um, actually, no, sorry, with Resto, it's even easier because... The Kiki makes a copy, and then it gets flickered, so you gain four life every iteration if you have two. But they have Bounding Crisis as well, which has three power. Sure, so you need three in play for that. Yeah. But and, yeah. anyway, yeah. yeah. But then also, like, Scapeshift. Like, if you just go to, like, 39 life against Scapeshift in Highlander, they, they can't, can't kill win. You. Huh. <laughs> How hard of a time does Storm have if you can't, like, go that high? Yeah, like... Because, uh, like, Storm, like... I've heard of Robin 40-ing people, it, but... It, it depends on the draw. There are Storm draws that can, like... You can virtually go forever, but there are... Like, Storm is... I don't know. Back when Storm was like Lotus DT Storm, it was mm -hmm. much better at dealing twenty. But now that it in its current iteration, it's much better at dealing more, hmm. more damage. Well, it's also like you have a clock as well, so they have fewer life resources. Anyway, like I built this deck. I don't think it's very good, but it's kind of sweet. And this is, uh, you know, as we were explaining earlier, one of these uh, archetypes that just like flattens people. It doesn't even flatten them. It just makes it makes it so you can't lose. So earlier we were talking. <laughs> we were talking about mid range that has a lot of sixty forty matchups. This deck has a lot of eighty twenty matchups. Yeah. Both <laughs> and, and twenty yeah. eighty matchups. Yeah, yeah. It's just. Uh... All right. Yeah. Well, that's our episode for the day. Uh, thank you very much for the stories and to my uh, to all the hosts for coming out today and doing another episode. Thank you to the viewers for all of your support. Uh, we couldn't do this without your support for watching and for the support of the Patreon at patreon.com slash run. Um, yeah, literally impossible to make the show without you. So thank you for everything. Uh, let us know down in the comments if you have any questions about things you want to do. We get a lot of feedback. Liam in particular is, I don't want to throw Liam under the bus as the person who checks it, but you're awesome for responding to people and just starting conversations with people. Hit us up on Twitter if you want to do stuff. Yeah, keep it coming and we'll keep it coming. I got a message on, on my Reddit account today. That, really? Yeah, I almost <clears throat> never, that never happens, but I, I just like got one. They were like... How about that counterspell list? <laughs> <laughs> it was real popular. Uh, and reminder that we have a Canadian Highlander channel on Loading Ready Run Discord if you want to chat and try and find people to play with. Uh, so from uh, North 100, thank you very much. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time.